Spirit that he's not necessarily saying there. Amen. And so, you know, we don't endeavor to minister a message there and then just bring one up, you know. We want to have something fresh for wherever we're at. But it seems like the Holy Ghost impressed that as we start this series, we're going to need to run them parallel. And so I'm going to minister on a subject concerning the heart because there's matters of the heart. And I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter how many times Pastor Brian teaches, myself, Pastor Cheyenne, my lovely wife, Pastor Marcy, will be with us in a couple of weeks. The only reason she's not here at this point is because we do a Kingdom Institute on Sunday nights in St. Augustine, and we have a school there, and she's in session. She has a, a teaching tonight, and then they'll have tests next week, and then she'll be able to come up with us, okay? And, um, but, you know, regardless of what subject we preach, if our heart's not right, it doesn't matter. So we need to look at this. You know, we want to look at this in the Scripture because a lot of people aren't seeing things with God and it's not because God don't want things to happen. I'm going to show you that when your heart's tied right to God, then everything's opened up to you. Amen? Everything. Everything in His realm is at your disposal when your heart's right. Amen? And we'll see this tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Matters of the heart. Now, here's the good news is that this congregation, if the Lord continues to lead this way for us to deal with the heart, then whatever unction we get on Sunday morning there, we'll have that unction already here and can get further unction here than we had there. Which means that I'll have to catch up the congregation down there the next week based upon what we ministered here. Hallelujah. Amen. And so uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Now look at this. This is powerful. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. How I many you will see God? Amen? I mean, Moses was a man that walked with God, okay? Uh, he was a humble man. In fact, when people came against Moses, God took it personal, okay? And Moses talked with the Lord, went up on the mountain, had conversations with the Lord. In fact, the Lord came down one time and had conversations. He says, listen, to a prophet I'll reveal things and visions and dreams, but Moses I talk face to face. In great clarity. Now, he told Moses, he said, Now, you can't look upon my face, because if you do, you die. Why? Because God's all righteousness. Amen. And Moses is not born again. Okay? He's not born again at all. Uh, but he's a righteous man in the sense that he obeys God and his word. And so he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And he says, Look, I can't show you my face, because if I do, you'll die. He said, But if I'll pass by you, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And when I pass by you, you can look at me from behind. And so he does this. And Moses was with him on the mountain that when he came down, the glory of the Lord shone on his face. He was so bright, people couldn't even look at him. Could you imagine that God's presence would be upon you so much that when people looked at you, number one, they were convicted and they wanted to have a change in their life and wanted what you have. Amen. You want that kind of presence. That people would just be drawn to you. Be drawn to that godliness. And this person, this person that's pure in heart, they will see God. Because it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they, they not being everybody, but they being the pure in heart. So blessed are the pure in heart for the pure in heart shall see God. Hallelujah. Now, a lot of times when you read these Beatitudes, people always put them in a future tense. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. One day when we die, you'll see Him. No, 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 no. Listen, you've seen now. 
Amen. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily seeing Him face to face. I'm not talking about Jesus is going to show up in your life and you're going to say, oh, hey, Jesus, and shake His hand. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that there'll be evidence of God in your life will be seen. Amen. I mean, my son, when he's at the house, uh, he'll go through places and I can walk in behind him and know he was there. I, ha- I see evidence that he's there. Amen. He's left things around the house that lets me know, oh, Chase is home. Okay? And so, the same thing that happened with God. When you're pure in heart, then the things of God will follow you. You know, we talk about the wind. We don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. Amen. And that means then we are around something. It's something seen without being seen. Hallelujah. And this is what we're talking about. When our heart's right, then God, we can see God. We can walk in things of God. And this is important because, you know what? People really just won't see God. Think about it. They really just won't see Him. I mean, we're in a seen society. We're in a world, you have eyes, and we like to see things. Correct? But Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, told us, he said this, we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are what? Temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. Hallelujah. Which means then we've got to get a focus on an unseen realm to where we see the unseen more than we see the seen. I'm going to say that again. We need to get a focus in the unseen realm to where we see the unseen more than we see the seen. To where, you know what, something may manifest here, but you know what His Word says here, and you speak that Word and change this here. Did this not happen in the Bible? It did. Moses, we'll use the same man, walks up with the whole nation of Israel after they've delivered them from Egypt, and now they're standing on the edge of uh, the Red Sea, there's a mountain on this side, a mountain on that side. They're in the valley, and here comes Pharaoh and his army to kill them all and, and recapture them and take them back as slaves. And Moses is looking at a, a, a sea at flood stage. What are we going to do? Well, he was more focused on the unseen than the seen. And the Lord says, raise your staff. And he pulled that thing up. And something miraculous took place, didn't it? The sea parted. Why? Because he was focused. Elisha was in a tent one day and armies came out after him. And they wanted him to take him back to the king. And Elisha said, told his uh, servant, he said, don't worry about those guys. There's more with us than there are with them. Now he looks out the tent. He sees all those armies, all, all the horses and chariots, and he's going, this don't look good, man. This don't look good. So Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes that he may what? See. And he looked, went back out and looked on the top of, of, of the mountains and there were uh, uh, angels with, uh, with flaming swords and chariots all camped around them. Well, he got confident, did he? Oh, yeah, that's right, they were with us. Amen? He saw what Elisha saw. Though when he first saw, he didn't see. All he saw was the other army. But when he got his eyes open, he saw something else. Amen. We live in the unseen because His Word doesn't fail. Amen? And this, and a heart that is passionate for God will see God. Amen. Okay? All right, let's look at this Scripture in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Romans 10. We're going to see this. There's a lot of connection with the heart. 
It says this, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. So the word is near you. Where is it at? It's in your mouth and in your heart, which tells us this, the heart's significant. Just saying something's just not significant enough. That saying's got to be attached to something on the inside. Amen? Something on the inside. Because I'm going to tell you, I want to help you tonight. There's so many times we get, it's, we're, it's delusion to, to some degree because we're looking at things on the outside so much. And then people are saying all the right things, but yet things aren't happening. And that caused you to even question the unseen. Well, does God even hear us if we pray? Does, is God even working? Is He even concerned about us? But the Scripture let us know real quick that God's very concerned about us and He's talking to us. Amen? Yes, amen. amen. It says this. What does it say? Okay. The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we are preaching. Here it is, verse 9. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing this, that there's a confession, and Pastor Brian's already taught the congregation here that confession means make a covenant with your mouth. Uh, yesterday we did a wedding, uh, a couple in our church, Matthew Hunt and his uh, new wife now, Tabitha, uh, they got married yesterday at the fort in St. Augustine. Great ceremony, it was awesome. But I want you to know, yesterday they said something that changed their relationship. And Matthew's been telling Tabitha he loves her. And Tabitha's been telling Matthew she loves him. But something changed about 5.35 p.m. yesterday. There was an exchange of words. There was a covenant made with their mouth that moved their relationship to a whole other realm. Not only in the seen, but in the unseen. Because when they said a few things, and there was an exchange of vows, and there was an exchange of rings that symbolized their love towards one another, and there was, you know, uh, obviously we were ministering to them, and in the end I said, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Matthew Hunt. They went from being two single people to becoming one people in the flesh, and that night there's a benefit that comes with a covenant. You see what I'm saying? An institution that God created. God created marriage, not man. It's not a man idea. It's a God idea. God brought Eve to Adam. And that's where Adam said, A man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and become one flesh. That's a God thing. Okay? And so, because of that covenant, it, they were able to access other things that previous God would have considered unrighteous behavior. Oh, come on now. Come on, help me. You understand, prior to wedlock... They, they have the benefit of it. It's called fornication. Now, the world wants you to make it sound like it's okay. Baby, I love you. You understand? Well, we make love tonight. You're not making love. You're making lust tonight. And you're fornicating. Now, that's it. ain't romantic. Hey, honey, can we fornicate? That don't sound romantic. I understand that. I mean, you don't see that. They don't sing that. Right? Let's fornicate. Yeah. It don't sound the same as let's get it on, right? I mean, it sounds different in the song. Come on, help me. I mean, I'm just trying to be real. 
Amen. I mean, people sing, let's get it on. Right? I mean, they sing and all kind of stuff, and it sounds good, and it even feels good, but the Lord calls it sin. Then if I have this, and I am in a covenant, and I take it off to be with someone other than my wife, that's not lovemaking either. That's called adultery, which is a sin. Amen. But the minute he said, I do, and they did that vow exchange, they got into a covenant that gave them an entitlement that's blessed of God. Hallelujah. You understand, when you confess with your mouth, you got in covenant with God, you made Him supreme in authority, it gave you access to something previously you didn't have. Hallelujah. But it's not just a confession. Because it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and what? Where? In your heart. Which means you've got to do this one and that one. Not just one or the other. It's not if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord or believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Either way, you're going to be saved. No, it's a and. You have to confess Him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Then the salvation comes. Then saving comes. And understand salvation is very specific. This is salvation. Salvation is not... I don't want to die and go to hell. And there's been many people who've said, well, I'll receive Jesus as my payment of sin because I don't want to die and go to hell. That's not a salvation call. Salvation is the result of making Him Lord and believing God raised Him from the dead. The benefit of that covenant is you're not separated from God. But what are they doing? People are preaching a different gospel what they're doing is they're saying, here, let me preach a benefit to you. You don't want to die and go to hell, so you need to receive Jesus. Instead of, you need to make Him Lord. Because see, a lot of people will take something to get out of something, but yet won't mean it in their... Oh, please, come on, help me. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Your kids. Here it is, because I love this little bar we have here. Okay, this is a bare breakfast cloth right here. Right there. Okay? I want the breakfast claw. I'm hungry. So I'm going to go over to it. And Chuck's my daddy, and he says, Don't, son, don't do it. If you take that, I am going to wear you out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip your butt, son. No, you can have an apple. Because the bear claw, son, will kill you. it kill you. it gets your arteries all clogged up. You know, it's not good for... No, you eat the apple. Okay, fine. I'm going to eat the apple. Fine. Okay, so I'm taking the apple because why? I don't want to get my butt whipped. My heart's, because my heart's saying, that's what my heart's saying. Now, I'm giving an action of obedience. You see what I'm saying? I'm giving an action of obedience. And thank you for not spanking me, Daddy. But, in my heart, I really want the bear claw. Now, this is important. Because in Hebrews, it talks about Esau couldn't find repentance, so he sought it with tears. Why? Because his heart hadn't changed. See, Jacob stole 
his um, birthright. Remember that? Remember that? He stole the birthright. Then he steals the blessing from him. Because you understand, the birthright represented responsibility of the household. He didn't want that. So fine, that birthright don't mean nothing to me. I'm going to die here. He ain't going to die. You know, just a little bit of soup. And how, when does soup fill you up anyway? That's what I want to know. When does soup fill you up? Okay? I don't care if it is chunky man soup. I don't think it's filling us up. But he takes the man soup, gives it. Why? I just don't want the responsibility. But he does want the blessing. Which means he wants the blessing without the commitment. And this is what people are, this is where you gotta watch because people are making a covenant, so to speak. They're saying something with them. They want the blessing of God without the commitment to Him. And there's a heart problem here. Okay? So, um, Esau then gets by Jacob. Jacob takes his blessing and he's all crying to his daddy, don't you have a blessing for me? And dad says, look, I gave it to your brother. He deceived me. And he said, please, daddy, please. And he's in tears, man. I mean, snot coming out his nose. He's crying. He's in tears. He wants a blessing. That, cause you understand the birthright and the firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. He just lost a lot of goods. Is what he did. Okay? And so what takes place then? His dad says, I can't. Gave him another blessing that he be up under Jacob. And when he left, this is what Esau says in his heart. He says, when daddy dies, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. So what was it? On one side, it looks like, okay, I feel bad. I'm sorry, daddy. Please forgive me. Give me the blessing, dad. I want, what, I want the benefit. I want it. Don't you see? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All those tears, all that outward sign looks like it. You know, I mean, our kids, they start crying. We go to credit and they start crying. We're thinking, oh, see... They really don't mean it. On the inside of saying, if I can produce some tears here, maybe they'll leave me alone. I mean, kids, little kids, will start working it. They will work. Jimmy, does yours working it already? They working it. They working it. Okay, here. Right? I mean, there's this. But on the inside, what was his heart? I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him. Because if I kill Jacob, then I take his stuff. See, his heart's not right. So we have to address this issue with heart because you understand, faith, healing, all the stuff that we'll talk about in the Word and all the subjects we can clearly define, listen, deals with how's our heart in this thing, man? How's our heart? And you won't, and here's the cool thing about your heart, you can control it. You, you can control your heart the way you act, the way your spirit man is responding, the way you're responding in situations. You can control this because this heart resulted in what? Righteousness. It says this, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Meaning, I'm going to get something here on the inside that's going to make me live a certain way, then, then I'll talk a certain way, and it'll produce itself. Amen. With that being said, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. Word of faith, we've heard this. Anybody that's, ever, that's been around the Word of Faith message has heard people minister on this subject before. And they say, you know, there's three sayings to one believing. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, there's one in one, that what he says is going to happen. King James says he'll have whatever he saith. That's the third say. 
And so they had teachings, you know, where it says you've got to say three times as much as you believe. Okay? There's a confession of your faith. But here's the thing. A confession of your faith isn't going to work if you've got doubt in your heart. The heart. But here's the thing. If there's no doubt, then guess what? You got it. Amen. If you get your heart right and in alignment with God, then what you say you'll be able to have according to His Word and His will. And God is not out there trying to keep things from His kids. He wants to tell His kids what are theirs, their blessings and benefits. He wants to tell them what's available to them in the earth for their assignment. He wants them to believe Him at His Word and be firmly persuaded in their inner man. And when they are, they will have those things. Man, that's good news. That is such good news. Hallelujah! That we can look at ourselves on the inside, examine how we're, we're on the inside in our inner man, heart being our inner man, the spirit of the man. What's going on on the inside? Amen? Because if that area is right with God, then man, it'll change everything in our life. And you want to look at that because you want everything God has for you. I mean, you want to, to be successful in the planet on earth while you walk in it, and God has made a path ready for you. He's prepared a way. He's a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. He'll make the crooked places straight. He's your provider. Amen. God does this for you. God is not something disconnected and watching you wander through aimlessly. No, He says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And there's great blessings and benefits for you that He wants to get to you, wants to get through you, wants to get through you to other people. I mean, God wants to make you, uh, leave, allow you to leave your fruit on the earth. Amen. And in the course, what are you doing? You're bringing people into the kingdom, receiving Jesus as Lord, understanding that they're children of a king. Amen. Because we understand the Bible's about a king, a kingdom, and his offspring. In Genesis 1, 26, it said... Let us make man according to our likeness and in our image and let him have dominion or rule. Over what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over uh, the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. Man was to have dominion. And when Adam, who did not fall from heaven, but fell from dominion, he did not lose a religion, what he lost was his uh, access to the kingdom of God. Because Satan deceived him. Deceived his wife, and he ate of the fruit that the Lord told him not to eat of. What did he say? He said, you can eat of any fruit in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you will surely... So if Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? Man, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. So where do people go today when they pass on? Well, obviously, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Sure, if you're not in your skin suit, you're not in this realm. Obviously. But God never designed man originally to have to leave planet Earth to have fellowship with Him. They were an extension of what His unseen realm was. Because when the Lord started to get Jesus back in the Earth, 
Come on, to restore man's dominion? What did he do? He's made a covenant with Abram. And what did he tell Abram? He said, I'll bless you. All you got to do is read Genesis chapter 12. He says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. Isaiah prophesied of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 6. You may have never heard it this way, but this is the gospel. That a child will be given to us, a son will be given to us, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. And they'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, right? There will be no end to the increase of his government. Pilate knew Jesus was a king. Wise men from the east were seeking a king. They weren't seeking a religious leader. They came to King Herod and said, we come to find the king of the Jews. A king is a ruler of a kingdom. And then in John chapter 18, Pilate's conversation with Jesus before he goes to the cross, he says, are you a king? He says, did uh, someone tell you about me or did you learn this on your own? Starting about thir- verse 33. And, and, and the Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own people have handed you over to me. Jesus goes on to say, he said, my kingdom is not of this realm. If it were, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, so you are a king. He says, you say correctly I'm a king, and for this reason I was born, and for this reason I've come into the earth. Because he's a king. He's the king of? Well, what, what kings is he the king of? Who are those other kings? Amen. We are. We're royalty. And it's important for us to view the Bible through a kingdom and not a democracy. Because a democracy allows us to pick and choose. Democracies let you pick and choose. But in a kingdom, where the word of the king is, Ecclesiastes 8.4, there's power. There's power. And Jesus said this. He said, I don't speak anything of my own initiative, but only what the Father... Now, in our society, thank God for democracies. Thank God for it. Amen? I mean, it's the best we can do. Really, a republic's the best because it's based upon law, especially if that law is created out of more, a moral law. The problem with democracies, if, it gets, if, if the majority becomes immoral, then the laws change. Now, some of y'all are a little bit older than I am, not a whole lot. And you remember the Flintstones. How many of you remember the Flintstones? Come on. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. They're a modern Stone Age family. From the, right? Place right out of history. All right. At the end, when the credits are rolling, they, they end with this. We'll have a gay old time. That's right. Now, was Flintstones advocating homosexuality? No, because the word gay back then, sorry for that apple that just spit out, um, meant happy. I mean, if you look it up, by definition, gay means happy. But you go in there today and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling gay today. It's going to be a whole other thought process. Right? Right? You go, go hook up and say, hey, what's up, man? You doing all right today? Man, I'm feeling gay today. How about you? Nah, see, you'd be like... And that just means happy, right? But what has happened over the course of time? 
as people's agendas have. And in a democracy, if we can put enough pressure, if we can bring enough interest, if we can vote people in and out of power that have our personal interests, it's ha- it happens in the church because we know in the last days there's going to be itching ears. People, they don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. What they want to do is they want to hear stuff that makes them feel good of what they want. Why? Because they're living the Bible through a democracy. They pick and choose what they want to believe. But when you recognize the Bible's not a democracy, but it has a kingdom view, then you'd say, i got a loving king that cares about me and that wants to take care of me and has taken care of me and just simply needs me to believe him at his word. Ooh, man. Then when everything else is falling apart in other people's lives, they'll be saying, how come you? Well, because I serve a king whose word can never fail. His word can't fail. You say, Pastor, how can you say his word never fails? Well, the Bible tells us that his word shall not return unto him void. Right? It says that. Then it all goes on and says this in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 4 and verse 8, could be chapter 3 and verse 8, where it says, God is love. It says that. God is love. That's what it says. Amen. And we know this in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word. So the Word was God. God is love. So the Word is love. Right? And who's the Word? The Word became flesh. Verse 14, that's Jesus. So when we see the word Jesus, you understand this, Jesus was more the Word than He's ever been the Son of Man. He's always been the Word. Okay? So the Word is love. Well, how's that significant? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And verse 8, the start says this, Love never fails. Well, if love never fails, then the Word never fails. Amen. Amen. The Word never fails. And man, when we can believe and hide the Word in our heart, Paul or, or David said, Lord, I want to hide the Word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Why do you want to hide that Word? Why, if I know your Word, then I won't be doing things outside of what your Word says. I'll only be doing what your Word says. And if I do what your Word says, then I'm in righteousness, which is not a religious word. It's a legal word, meaning right standing with the governing authority. I'm in right standing with the king. And that means if I'm righteous, then whatever is given to righteous people, I have access. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay? So he says, man, um, truly I say to you, whoever says in this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. There is a heart issue associated with your faith. And so we want to see our heart be right because our heart gives us access to God's realm. Amen. Our heart does. Well, does the Lord look at the heart? Yes, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Hallelujah. (laughs) This is good, isn't it? Amen. I want to take some time, line upon line, to show you some things. Now, I'll bring you up to speed. Here's the thing. Here's the story. It's how it goes. And Samuel, what's taking place? Because I don't want to assume that people know these stories. You understand? I don't want to ever assume that you've been in church long enough and you know something. Okay? Because anything that we say can bear repeating and we get another nugget out of it. Where we at at this point is that, and if you looked at it, um, 
the nation of Israel is a little upset. Okay? They're having some issues. And their first issue is, is that um, they want a king. Amen? Because all the other nations um, have a, a king. Turn over to 1 Samuel 13. I'm going to show this to you. I'm going to take the time to show you. Here is the king whom you have chosen. Whom you have chosen, not God. Whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. You see that? So the Lord was their king. Correct? Okay, go back to chapter 8. Chapter 8. We'll start in um, verse 4. You there, First Samuel chapter 8, verse 4? It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at this place. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like the nations, like all the nations. So what were they doing? They were seeing all the other nations have a king. But the thing, verse 6, was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when, he, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, God called himself a king. And he considered himself king of these people. That's a government. And so what does he do? He gives them what they want. They're looking for somebody like Saul. And this guy was a tall guy. He was a head taller than everyone else. Good looking man. And the people in their heart, they envisioned this is what a king looks like. So God gave them what they were looking for. They wanted to see this king because they can't see God. Though God's working for him, is he not? Was he not defeating battles for him? Was he they not winning wars with him? Was he not uh, overcoming nations? Sure. He's this, this is the same God that took them into the promised land, that they conquered, um, uh, what's the first city? Jericho. I mean, talk about a king. king says, listen, I just want you to walk around the city. Six days. I want you to walk around it and say nothing. Just one time, be quiet, walk around it. That's how we're going to defeat them. Sounds ludicrous, but he's the king. He's created everything. He said on seventh day, walk around seven times, and the last time, shout, and the walls will come down. Go in there and take it. Wow. And they do it, blow the horn, and they shout, and the wall comes down. They go in and take the city. That's a pretty tough king. He's strong. Amen? I mean, you want that. Because the Bible says that Jericho was shut up tightly. It was, that, that city was so fortified, they had chariot races on top of the walls. Okay? And that wall came down. At a shout. I mean, today, come on, we've been in the military. I mean, they'd be bringing in all the bigs. They'd be bringing in all kind of rounds. I mean, they'd be dropping all kind of bombs. And the Lord said, just say, just, just, just shout. I mean, how would we like, how'd you like to go to Iraq or, or Afghanistan where they still, you know, wherever um, Bin Laden's at, and, and, and the Lord by the Spirit directs you to the mount and tells you just to yell. I mean, because don't think God don't know where the man's at. 
He knows. Boy, if we could just pray and seek the Lord on some things, there's a lot we could find out. We need to be a nation that prays. And man, if we pray, I mean, there's no telling what would take place. But they wanted a seen king. And the Lord said, fine, give them what they want. Well, we come up here to 1 Samuel 16, and we're coming in to where there's got to be a replacement for King Saul. Why? Because King Saul didn't continue to obey God at his word. And because of that, the Lord took the anointing from him. So Samuel is going to Jesse's house because God has told Samuel, the next king is at this man's house. Or is one of his boys, is what he says. It's one of his sons. So he shows up, tells Jesse, he says, hey, I've come. You know, they're going to do a little sacrifice. And he says, are these your boys? They say, yeah, and he lined them up uh, in age. And he comes to the firstborn son... And lo and behold, there's something about this boy that Samuel says to himself, this is him. This is the man. This is the next king. Let's look at this real quick. We'll back up a verse. I want us to read this. Verse 6, it says, And when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely, this is what Samuel the prophet says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, you're, I'm talking about a prophet that hears God's voice, that knows God's ways, and he stands before Eliab and goes, Surely God's anointed is before this man. Why? Because there's something about the way this man looks that reminds him of King Saul. And he's judging the character of a king based upon what's going on on the outside. But look at God's response in verse 7. He says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue. Because that's what it was. See, Samuel was about a head taller than everybody. Eliab obviously must have been a tall man too. And he's looking at him thinking, Surely this is the replacement for Saul. He is like the characteristics of whom God picked the first time. But you understand, God didn't pick Saul. The people picked Saul. God just anointed God the people's choice. God will try to anoint the people's choice to help them. But if the people's choice don't stay in obedience to Him, then they're going to get rejected. So He says, don't look at His appearance or the height of His stature. And look what He tells you, because I rejected Him. Now, that doesn't mean God rejects tall people. Praise God. And that was good news for Trey this morning, who's at our church. He's 6'8". He's tall. Tall man. Okay? Uh, God's not rejecting tall people. He's just saying, I don't look at the outside to determine the worth of a man, or a woman for that matter. So he goes on, he says, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord, what's He do? He looks at the heart. Man, this is such good news. You want to know why? Because God's looking at the inside of you. And when your inside's right, then everything that's associated with the kingdom can flood itself to your life. When our heart is right with God, and God sees our heart, He's looking and examining this heart. And you understand, He goes to the one, He goes, well, that's not Him, the Lord says not. He goes, that ain't Him. No. And He keeps going, and then finally He gets to the last one in the house, and He goes, well, uh, Jesse, you got any more boys? Because I done went through the whole line, and ain't none of them. And, he, and then what's Jesse say? I got one more. I wonder if the Lord purposefully had Jesse, or had David in the field. 
Because I wonder if, if Samuel, who went in looking to the outside, would have seen David, might have instantly said, that sure ain't him, that's just a little boy there, that's just a child, that's a teenager. And disregard him so much that he couldn't hear the voice of the Lord didn't actually anoint him. Because Samuel went in looking on the outside. He went into the house looking on the outside. But see, when Jesse and David's not there, so he has no idea what David looks like. Don't know how old he is, nothing. He just knows he's the youngest. He says, you got any more boys? He said, yep, I got one more. Now Samuel, lightning quick mind, saying, well, that's it by default. I done went through the rest. So obviously David's the king. He was so convinced of that, he said, we won't even sit down till he gets here. We wait and stand until the king shows up. And then here comes this 17-year-old teenager. Little red-headed boy. He's handsome, okay? But he's a teenager. And he's king. Why? Because the Lord's identified him. What did the Lord say about David? David said, he's a man after my own. Well, his heart's important. What's going on on the inside of us is very important. Because, you know, we've been in places, man, where on the outside... You know, we've been in those situations maybe at home or maybe with a co-worker or with a friend that we blowed up, you know, a little bit. We're mad about something, you know. We're having some coarse words and all of a sudden the phone rings and we go, hello. Right? Previous we were going, I can't believe this. I don't understand why you... And then we get this response. Hey, how's everything going? Oh, great. Ain't it funny how we put that on just like that? I mean, put it on. Now, five minutes ago, we couldn't seem to find that put on nowhere. But it was in there the whole time. It was in there. Oh, I'm doing great. But yet on the inside, there's a storm going off, and you're thinking, if I can just get them off this phone, I'm going to get back up in that storm because I'm not done. Okay, I'll talk to you later. And it's on again, right? It's like boom. Amen? I mean, have you walked in situations where you go, everything all right in here? Oh, yeah, fine. And you're thinking, something ain't fine. Now, on the outside, it's all looking good, but on the inside, something's brewing. See, God lives in this place. This is what He's examining us. This is what He's doing. And this is good news because if this place is good, then guess what? Things are going to start working in your life. My, my, my. Your faith is going to work. Your prayer life's going to work. Your relationships are going to work. Everything's going to come up out of this inside. And it's so important for us to, to look at this. God looks at our heart. Look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. Here, um, the apostles are, are looking for a replacement for Judas who's killed himself. And um, they've got a couple of candidates here. And they're saying, now look, one of these people are going to replace and be the twelfth man and so um we need to let god in on this thing and they make this prayer and they prayed prayed and said you lord who know the hearts of all men what are they asking which show which of these two you have chosen so look on the outside both of these guys as far as they're concerned excuse me could do the job but god knows their hearts God has to go to a realm we don't see. God's going to touch in a place that we don't touch. Amen. And from there, He begins to identify the real person. 
Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you something. When you got born again, God made a deposit in that realm. It says, for the love of God has been shed abroad, not on your head, not in your clothes. Come on now. Holiness is not in our clothes. You understand what I'm saying? Now, that doesn't mean that the inside won't affect the outside. Because you can't be coming with hardly anything on and tempting the brethren with your skin. Amen. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's something that's going to show itself a balance because of something inside is going to affect the outside. But you understand, people could dress up on the outside and their inside still be all messed up. So we just identify this because God knows the hearts of men. He knows what's going on. Then it goes in Acts chapter 15. In this particular place, uh, the church in Jerusalem, James is the pastor, they're having this big discussion concerning outward appearance. Because what's happened is a bunch of Gentiles who are not Jewish people are of the nation of the Jews. They're getting born again, filled with the Spirit, yet they're not physically circumcised. And so Jewish people have been coming behind Peter and Paul telling Gentiles that you're not really a child of God if you don't get yourself cut. And so this big debate shows up in Acts 15 discussing do they need to circumcise themselves to really be children of God? Or is it a circumcision of the heart? And so what they, they discuss, they're having this conversation and Peter's talking about his experience at Cornelius' house who's not a Jew but a Gentile, and it says this, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He's saying, I went there. I was up on the roof. I had just had a vision from God concerning some things about things that I thought were unclean. And the Lord says, what I call clean is clean. And there's some people show up and tell me to go to this Gentile house, not of my nation, and I show up and I preach Christ, that He's been raised from the dead. They believed it, and the same experience we've got on the day of Pentecost they received. And we said, how in the world can we deny them to be baptized? How can we deny them water baptism? How can we not receive them in fellowship? They got the same thing we got. It's obvious that God made no distinction between us as a nation and them as a nation. They were able to receive God as King, as their Lord. They are His kids as well. And Jesus spoke of these. He said, there are other sheep of my flock that are not here, but I'm going to bring them in. Ooh, glory to God. And you're glad because most of us are Gentiles. Okay? Praise the Lord. But what the key is is that He knows the hearts. God knows the hearts. Praise God He knows our hearts. Amen. I want Him to know my heart because if He knows my heart, my heart's right. Then you understand I'm going to be rewarded as a result. Jeremiah 17.10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So the Lord searches the heart. I'm telling you right now, when you go to prayer, God's not looking at how you're praying in the sense of, are you on your knees? Do you have your eyes closed? Or you got your little hands? You know, like... Father? He's not looking at that. I mean, you understand, this is what we picture a lot of times because this is the picture of prayer. Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and we think Jesus was different. I, man, if Jesus prayed all night long, I'm telling you right now, he must have been walking. Because you go lay down and pray, and tell me how long you stay awake. 
Jesus in the garden was having problems with Peter and them. They sitting over there by the tree. And remember Jesus said, Hey man, are y'all asleep? Can you wait? See, he is pacing. He's walking. Hey, I mean, I'm telling you right now, when he got up early and late, that man was walking. I'm not saying he never bowed, he never got on his... I'm not saying that. The reason why we kneel is because that's what you do before a king. You kneel before kings, and he's a king. Amen? That's why we bow down. But the Lord searches our heart. He's not looking at our outward appearance to determine our worthiness and our access to Him. He's looking to the inside. Amen. Amen. Okay? This is important. Well, the last scripture tonight is this. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll start in verse 26 and 27. 26 and 27. Look at this. God is a heart searcher, man. He searches the heart. He says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for word. That's praying in the Spirit. Then He goes on and says this, And He, that's the Spirit of God, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. You understand, the Holy Ghost is not going to do anything outside the Word of God. We have the mind of Christ, praise God. And we are, are to operate like Jesus. He, Jesus said when the Spirit of truth comes, He's not going to speak anything on His own initiative, but only what He hears me say. The Holy Ghost is not given a different message than what the Word is saying. So He knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. What He's doing is He's searching your heart to determine are you a true candidate for what you're praying for. Is your motive right? Is your heart right? See, we saw this uh, when we were at Kingdom Crusade down in St. Augustine. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord prompted us. We know it's God's will to heal. By His stripes ye were healed. We know this is God's will and that you can stand in a covenant relationship with God and receive healing for your body so that you can fulfill your assignment on the earth. But you understand, people know it's God's will to heal but a lot of times they're not receiving God's will because they're asking His will amiss. James tells us this, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss, seeking your own personal desires. You want your own thing. You ask for yourself. So you know, some people say, Lord, I know it's your will to heal, but the only reason they want to be healed because on the inside of their heart, they want to do their own will in life and not God's will. I remember Kenneth E. Hagin. He was ministering, he said, in a camp meeting, and there was a healing line, and he was going down laying hands on people because the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so he's laying hands on people, and he said he got to this one lady, and he went to lay hands, and the Spirit of God said, don't touch her. So he didn't, and he stopped right there. And then the Spirit of the Lord gave him a word of knowledge. That's the gift of the Spirit. And said this, because it's information, it's a, uh, a knowledge that God has, a, a word of, his, of knowledge that He has that's either past or present. Information. And He says, this woman has been called to, uh, to the mission field. I called her 30 years ago. She won't go. She's rebellious, and so she's not going to be healed. Now, is it God's will to heal her? Yes. So she can be confessing for 30 years, Lord, I know you're the healer. But her heart to be healed is not to do His will, but to do her own. So her asking is amiss. Now, I'm not saying she's been sick for 30 years, but she's been sick 
and she's wanting to be healed, but there's a call, a 30-year call in her life that she has put down in her heart, and she's not. So everything she does is not motivated to do what he's asked her to do. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing greater in life than to fulfill God's purpose for your life. I'm going to say these four uh, statements again. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. The greatest challenge in life is knowing what to do. I mean, have we not hit that crossroad a hundred times, a lot of times? Job in, something happens, and we're having to ask the question, what are we supposed to do? So the greatest challenge in life is knowing what to do. And sometimes we're even in the right thing to do, and we're having to ask the question, what to do? Then the next statement is this. The greatest mistake in life is being busy, but not effective. A lot of busybodies. You understand, you can be busy your whole life and have done no single good thing for the Lord. Because it's your works. And you get many accolades from people saying, man, that's great, you're so awesome. And there's your reward. It's like a Pharisee. They do all kind of good stuff, very busy, but it may have been nothing the Lord ever wanted them to do, personally. So the greatest mistake in life is being busy and not effective. And then, the last one was this, the greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. Because the Bible tells us what good is in a man to gain the whole world and forfeit a soul. You understand, you can be successful and come to the end of your life only to recognize that you did nothing that you were assigned to do. Amen? I mean, if you have a child and you said, Son, I want you to go, Chuck, he's my daddy again. And Chuck says, he says, Earl, now I need you to go make up your bed. I just want you to go make your bed up. And I go cut the grass. Paint the house. You know, do all kind of other stuff. And go and say, hey, Daddy, I cut. You know, and he says, son, that's all good things, but you didn't do what I said. Amen? And here we think, well, you ought to reward me for doing these other things. But I'm doing what I, I'm not doing what he said. See, there's no submission there. I can't go above his word and think, well, if I do this, this is better than what you asked me here, so I'm going to do this. This is greater. You see what I'm saying? No, the king's assignment for our life is the greatest assignment ever. And the cool thing about his assignment is that's where the provision's at. He will provide for you if you're doing what he's asked you to do. I'm telling you, he will orchestrate things along that way that you'll get to divine appointments and all of a sudden, what you need showed up. Why? Because you're exactly where God needed you to be. Man, I'm telling you. And you understand, God is a person who examines. He knows the heart. He's looking at our heart. And man, when our heart's right with God, it opens up everything in the kingdom, opens all access to Him. Because our heart's right. God is looking for people after His own heart. And the good news is, is He actually puts it in us. We'll talk about this. Well, I can't remember exactly which prophet said it. I think it was Isaiah, that he'll take that old heart of stone out and give us a heart of flesh. Ooh, glory to God. He's given us the ability. And here's the cool thing, Jimmy. You control your heart. You control it. You control what's going on on the inside. And you can yield to the Spirit of God. 
So it's a matter of the heart. All the things that we can learn about in God is all dependent on how's our heart. What's going on on the inside? How's the spirit of the man doing? Because if it's good, then it's going to affect everything out here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word. We thank you that it's alive and active, sharper than any two.